Every time you try something out of faith, you'll at least have a story to tell. We're playing music, we're singing songs, we're making it up, everybody's having a great time, and then three SUVs with automatic weapons surround us. And then when you share that story, you will trigger faith in other people. Before the rocks started flying, we all just uh, made sure we all got, had enough motorcycles for all of us, got on them, and tried to get out of there safely. The key then is to live in such a way as to have stories worth telling.
Please join me in prayer this morning. Oh God, there's a lot going on and uh, some of it is, is hard to navigate. Lots of it is. So here we are again, God, and we're, we're gathering virtually and we're just focusing ourselves in on you. We ask that you'd fall, Holy Spirit, that you'd fall on us. We ask Jesus that you would incarnate among us that we could be your hands and your feet and your voice we ask for waves of healing over our people we ask for waves of repentance where we need it god and the ways that we've wronged one another and we ask god most of all that you would 
illuminate your love for us, God, that you would pour it out, that we would have that personal, crazy, amazing encounter with you that is only you and nothing else can touch us like you can, Lord. So we open ourselves to you. We ask for um, anointing on this time together. And we thank you, Jesus, uh, that you love us so much, that you gave yourself for us. Amen. Because we can't meet together physically, we like to take some questions from the crowd to feel like we're in the middle of a crowd conversation. This week's question comes from Timothy from the Big Island. Hi Jordan, my name's Timothy. I'm coming from the Big Island. And my question is about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He says that our weapons have divine power for destroying strongholds. And I'm curious, what does that look like in your life on a normal day? Thanks, Timothy, for the question. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 4. Uh, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Uh, how do I live that out in my daily life? I think the first part is I have to figure out what strongholds I am <clears throat> fighting against in life. What uh, bad spirit is it that has a strong hold on the people around me or a strong hold uh, in my life. Identifying that in the midst of the chaos can sometimes be uh, challenging. Um, then when you identify what the bad spirit is, uh, what I try to do in my daily life is I try to move in the opposite spirit. So for instance, uh, I have a problem with anger. Uh, that's a, a demonic stronghold in my life. So when I am feeling angry, well, what would be the opposite spirit? Uh, experience has taught me that the, the opposite spirit to anger is the spirit of thankfulness. Uh, so when I'm going through an angry season, sometimes I practice what I call the 100 thankfuls. I will start my day by reciting out loud 100 random things that I'm thankful for. And I find that in a way that you could describe as spiritual, that kind of demolishes the hold that anger has over me for that day. That's kind of a, a creative, almost ritualistic way uh, to fight fire with water, to fight a bad spirit with the opposite godly spirit. Right now in the world, I feel like the spirit of contempt has a strong hold on a lot of people, a lot of contempt, a lot of accusation. Well, the opposite of the spirit of contempt, probably something like the spirit of grace, uh, the spirit of being willing to give people you know, the, the benefit of the doubt and to treat them uh, graciously. Uh, if uh, I've often lived in places that were in the grips of the spirit of poverty and depravity, well, the opposite to that is probably the spirit of generosity. So when I've lived in those places and sought to minister in those places, I've tried to manifest generosity in a super powerful way. Uh, the opposite of the spirit of fear, of course, is the spirit of faith or confidence or optimism or whatever flavor of faith uh, that you want to give. If uh, you feel ashamed or you're coming against a spirit of shaming, well, move in the spirit of I don't know, brashness or shamelessness. 
Those are all godly spirits. And if we move in those spirits, we win every time because the bad spirits really can't stand against us. So move in the opposite spirit. That's what I try to do on a daily basis. I hope that helps. Good morning, Blue Water. Welcome to month four of our virtual services. And we've got a strong community. 16 Ohana groups meeting consistently all throughout the quarantine. Uh, a couple have already started regathering physically. If you have a desire to do that, to gather physically, of course, practicing safe protocols, uh, just go on our website and contact an Ohana group leader close to you to see if they are meeting physically and what time and location that would be. All right, uh, no news yet from our landlords on when we'll be able to gather in the gym. Uh, so we'll continue meeting right here on Sundays until we get the green light from them. Uh, the latest intelligence still says sometime in this month. And we so look forward to gather again. And in prep for that, some reminders. When we meet, we'll all have to wear masks. Uh, we'll have alternative seating. And there's not going to be any kids' church just for the in initial meetings. Uh, and as a congregation, we will not physically hug. And though we can't gather physically on Sundays, uh, we celebrate each other spiritually right here. Uh, so let's continue our worship with our offering. You can give in two ways, online at our website or via post. Uh, just send your checks to our office. If you're new or visiting, please no, feel no obligation to give this morning. But if you haven't signed up for our weekly newsletter blasts, we would love to keep in touch with you. Just sign up on our website. Uh, enter your name and email address on that first page. All right, kids, stand up. Let's pray for you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for our children. I just pray for their time uh, that they seek you uh, independently, Lord. Uh, we pray for their questions um, and we pray for their imaginations, Lord, uh, that you would uh, meet them uh, in color, uh, in real time. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Every time you try something out of faith, you'll at least have a story to tell. We're playing music, we're singing songs, we're making it up, everybody's having a great time, and then three SUVs with automatic weapons surround us. And then when you share that story, you will trigger faith in other people. Before the rocks started flying, we all just uh, made sure we all got, had enough motorcycles for all of us, got on them, and tried to get out of there safely. The key then is to live in such a way as to have stories worth telling. The goal of this life is to come to trust God and we wanna help spread that trust on the earth. We wanna encourage people to come to trust God as well, encourage people to have faith. What does faith consist of? Well, faith isn't just what you believe it's not just your belief set it's what you do with what you believe um, satan knows what the truth is he just doesn't live according to that truth so faith is when you live according to the truth of god the truth that god is good and loving so you could say that faith is really an attitude 
It's an attitude with which you live. An attitude is an approach. Faith is an approach to life. It's a mindset. It's a, it's a, a force of will, however you want to say it. To have faith is to live according to the truth of God. And you want to help people get there. You want people to get caught up in exercising faith, exercising their capacity to trust that God is good and that he makes all things possible. Generally, I don't think people care what you believe, but everyone is starving for faith attitude. That's, that's a difference because everybody in the world is afraid. Fear is the most uh, deadly virus on earth. And people throw themselves into all sorts of nonsense just because it makes them feel uh, powerful and unafraid for at least a while. People want the experience of faith. They just don't realize that it lies in following God. And that's where we come in. And the vital question for, Christian is, for Christians is how do you spread faith attitude? How do you spread the experience of faith? And if you had to do it, let's say for some random crowd, what way would you choose? Uh, when I heard this question, I thought, I thought about it as a parent, as I think about trying to inspire faith in my children and help them grow in their faith. And I feel like if faith is really to be part of our lifestyle and just the way that we go about our day, then it should be something that we talk about regularly and we integrate it. Whether it's like a mush pot or like a praying or encouraging over someone, I think it really just awakens this reality that God sees them. God sees and cares about them. And I feel like prophecy, um, yeah, just awakens faith in a different way than other ways of communicating or encouraging people. I think one of the things that inspires faith in other people is for people to witness um, obedience. When people see somebody um, being obedient to what God is telling them to do, um, I think that it can be amazingly inspiring for a lot of people because um, sometimes the obedience requires sacrifice. And so I think witnessing or maybe being a recipient of that obedient sacrifice will inspire faith. I think telling stories, like just sharing from your life experiences and in telling stories, there's like that that connection, that connecting point. And as faith is integrated in your life stories, you know, um, I think it just stirs faith in others. Almost every sermon you hear at Blue Water Mission is gonna have a personal story in it. Why? Well, because stories uh, give authority to, to speak. When I share stories from my life, uh, my God stories, it gives me authority to speak about God. Anyone can teach from scripture, but you can only preach from experience. And you want to listen to someone who's tried stuff out. Uh, someone with experience is a reliable guide in the life of faith. You want someone who knows the truth of God, not just as a theory, but as something that they have exercised and something that they have tried. Life after all is to be lived. It's something to be lived. It's not merely something to be contemplated. Uh, and everything we do at Blue Water Mission, everything we preach, everything we teach, everything we organize, everything we suggest, uh, 
everything that we empower is designed to get you to actually try good and godly things. We have a saying here at Blue Water, we're in it for the stories. We want to go out and get some stories. We want people to have stories and experience because that leads to authority. That leads to legitimate faith. And it leads to power to spread faith. And in any case, what you see from Jesus in scripture is that he only ever calls people to action. You know, Jesus never says, hey, agree with me. Instead, he says, follow me. Or he says, minister with me. He encourages us to follow through on his commands. He says that's the important thing. If you follow through on these commands of mine, he says, uh, you're like a builder who builds house on a rock. No matter what happens, you're going to be fine. If you know all my commands, you hear them, you think about them, but you don't follow through on doing them, then you're like some guy who builds house on sand. And when trouble comes, it's going to fall apart. If you don't do kingdom things, uh, whatever they might be, then you'll gradually develop the feeling that faith is boring and weak. The less you do, the less you'll want to do. The less you try in the kingdom, the less you'll want to try in the kingdom. The less you exercise faith, the less power your faith will have, and the less contagious your faith will be. You'll have no authority when you speak about kingdom things. Conversely, the more you try kingdom things, the more authority you have and the more contagious your faith will be. And that's a setup for our scripture story this week. As you know, we are in a sermon series on the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 14. We are following uh, around these guys called Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they are the first intentional international church planters in Christian history. Last week, uh, we saw Paul and Barnabas do some really cool church planting on the island of Cyprus. Uh, what they do from there uh, is that they go back to uh, the Middle Eastern, Central Asian mainland, and they start traveling through some cities in what we would now call Turkey, a uh, city in Antioch and Iconium, and they end up in a, in a city called uh, Lystra. Uh, wherever they go, unfortunately, they run into some trouble. So they were kicked out of city in Antioch, uh, and they were roughed up seriously in Iconium, although they did a bunch of miracles there and ministered effectively in one sense. And we're picking up the story this week. Uh, as they arrive in a city called Lystra, a place, like I say, in modern-day Turkey, where no one has heard about Jesus yet. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 23. A little bit long, but rather interesting. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Bang up miracle. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. 
Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Suddenly, this is not going well. They have taken it to a crazy place, theologically. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them, to Barnabas and Paul. But when the apostle when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. There's some subtle theology going on here. Paul and Barnabas are telling them, look, you know, you worship the God of this and the God of that. Ah, the living God is true with that. You have to realize that all of these blessings come from one true God. That's the God that we're telling you about. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. These are non-Christian Jews who don't like what Paul and Barnabas are preaching. They think Christianity is just an infectious sect. So they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. The day gets crazier and crazier. But after the disciples had gathered around him, presumably to pray and minister, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, And they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, also to Iconium and Antioch, places where they were roughed up and kicked out, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So just a crazy day, a crazy few days in the ministry life of some of the greatest church planters in church history. So many interesting little mini episodes uh, in this story. Let's go through them uh, one by one. The first thing that happens, Paul shows up in Lystra, and as is his custom, um, he begins preaching on the street. And, you know, somehow a crowd starts to gather. Um, he was loud or demonstrative, we don't know. And the crowd was listening to Paul, and that's all we know. They listened to Paul. And the story says there was a guy in the crowd who had been lame from birth and who had never walked. So this guy was seriously crippled. And all we know about this guy is that he listened to what Paul was saying. And Paul looks into the crowd, sees this guy's face, and sees that he had the faith to be healed. Those of you who are involved in doing supernatural ministry, you might appreciate that phrase. You learn to see faith in people's eyes, don't you? you? You learn, you develop this sense of when faith is happening because that tells you that, well, miracles are possible. Ministry had just, has just become easier. So Paul is enough of a veteran to see that faith is happening in this guy. He can, he can see it in his eyes 
And so Paul just shouts out, stand up. And the guy is miraculously healed. To me, there's an obvious question here. Paul's in a place, in a town where nobody has heard about Jesus. Nobody has heard the message of the kingdom before. Paul shows up. He's standing on the street. He starts talking. A crowd gathers. And suddenly this poor guy in the crowd has faith. Not just faith, mind you, but faith to be healed. So the question is, how does this guy suddenly, out of nowhere, have faith to be healed? That a miracle is going to happen. All we know is that he was listening to Paul. That's all we know. Which begs a following question. What in the world was Paul saying such that this guy had not just faith out of the blue, but faith to be healed? What do you think? Paul was talking about. I ask this question a lot because I include this story in almost every seminar I do on supernatural healing ministry, something like that. And everybody says, oh, well, Paul was talking about Jesus. Good. The answer is always Jesus. We learned that in Sunday school, uh, many of us. And I imagine Paul slipped in the name Jesus there. But <clears throat> Jesus is preached in many churches and many communities, and not everyone in those communities have faith to be healed. What was Paul saying? I think the answer is obvious when you get right down to it. Clearly, Paul was sharing stories about healings in which he had participated. And indeed, in the narrative, we read that just a few days earlier, when Paul and Barnabas were in the city of Iconium, they uh, were told that they did powerful miracles there, and there were a lot of healings there. So I just bet you, that when Paul stood on the street, he didn't talk about theology. He didn't talk about how Jesus completed the plan of the Old Testament because these guys didn't care about theology. They had no understanding of the Old Testament. They didn't have any of that background, any of that tradition. I think what happened is Paul stood up and started telling stories about miracles. And those stories triggered something in this guy. As Paul talked about, oh, I don't know, healing people who were crippled. This guy probably perked up. And there was something about the way Paul said it, something about the way he delivered his testimony, the look in his eyes, the spirit he presented that triggered faith in this man. Sort of a participatory faith. Yes, that can happen. And Paul could see it just like that. You know, I think the stories triggered a desire for stories, you know, for a, a miracle story. Uh, and then Paul threw down and the miracle happened and there was great rejoicing. Uh, it's worth noting that it was the, the lame fellow's faith that triggered the miracle, right? It's like when Paul saw that the guy had faith, then he did the miracle ministry, uh, which leads to a good saying, spread faith, spread the kingdom. If you can spread faith attitude, then you'll have no problem doing kingdom things. If you can trigger faith attitude in the people around you, you're good. And you can do the miracles or you can do the works of generosity or you can just explain things in a way that will be received. Makes me ask myself, am I the sort of person who spreads faith or am I the sort of person who spreads a different sort of mindset? You can ask yourself that as well. Are you the sort of person who spreads faith attitude? Or are you the sort of person who spreads a different kind of attitude throughout the day? 
as we often say at Blue Water Mission, your attitude is the most contagious thing about you. You're spreading some kind of attitude all the time. In one way, shape, or form, your attitude is shaping the world around you. How? What attitude are you participating in? Always worth asking ourselves that question. Well, after this miracle, the narrative gets very wonky because instead of uh, glorifying uh, Jesus, whose name Paul has probably dropped in his street sermon, they just reach back to their, you know, their traditional uh, models and they decide that Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes because Paul is the guy who's talking and pretty soon uh, they're trying to sacrifice bulls uh, to these uh, missionaries and it just gets crazy. How frustrating would that have been? You know, you've done this incredible miracle, you've preached this amazing street sermon and then, you know, you pause for a cup of tea at the street stall and suddenly the priests of Zeus are coming to kill animals in your honor. It's like, man, I'm gonna shake your head. And so they protest, no, no, you guys have totally misunderstood. Uh, here's the way it is. And about the time they get done um, with that exercise, uh, some uh, oppositional Jews show up and things go from bad to worse. Uh, Paul gets beat up to the point of death. They think he's dead. They drag him outside the city. Man, what a day. This is a crazy day. Um, the disciples gather around them. I think probably what happened is that they supernaturally healed him. It doesn't actually say that, but they think he's dead. They gather around him and then suddenly he's fine and he walks back into the city. So I'm thinking supernatural healing miracle for Paul. Uh, he gets uh, a little bit of what he had offered. <laughs> he does a miracle. He gets a miracle. It's a, it's a full day. It's a full day in the life of these church planners. At this point, you have to ask yourself, is this a story of success or is this a story of failure? This narrative that we're reading in Acts chapter 14. What, what, what do you think? Success, failure, how does it feel? Success. Success? Success. Success. You guys are so optimistic and positive. Um, I, I don't know how they would have felt. I don't know how Paul would have felt picking his broken body up off the ground. It's like, exactly where did this go wrong? Uh, suddenly they're worshiping Zeus, uh, Barnabas, we have to do a debrief. I don't know, maybe it was both uh, success and failure, but it was a heck of a try, right? A heck of a try. At the end of this day, when they're sitting around the campfire drinking beers, which I'm sure is what they did, um, they would have at least had one heck of a story to tell. This just this is a, a riveting uh, drama uh, that they are living. It was one heck of a try. But note that in spite of whatever setbacks Paul and Barnabas experienced uh, on this day or in this trip, that after they left that city, they went to Derby, they did some uh, evangelism and discipleship there. And then when they toured back through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, sitting Antioch, every city in which they had been roughed up and driven out, they encouraged Christians in those cities, it tells us. 
So even though they were roughed up, kicked out, left for dead, even though people took them wrong theologically, at the end of the day, they had churches to return to. They had planted small groups. Faith had taken root. Um, so in that sense, they were productive. They were successful. And I think life with God is often like that. It's often like that. Uh, if you drop in on the story on any given day, it might look like an outrageous failure. But if somehow you can take a big step back and look at the arc of the life story, on balance, it's always good. On balance, it's always successful. On balance, it's always fruitful. And I think that's a promise for your life. You know, I might drop in on your life in any given day, any given week, and the thing might look like a stinking disaster. But if I were able to step back and take a look at the arc of your life with Jesus, on balance, it's always going to be good and productive and a blessing on the earth, provided you're living it in such a way that you have stories to tell, provided you're living it in such a way that you're trying kingdom things consistently. They might not all go well. They might not all produce the fruit that you want in the near term. But over time, it will always generate positive change on the earth. You will always be a blessing to the world around you if you stick with it. So they have managed to plant churches in spite of all the drama. And at these churches, uh, when they revisit them on their way back, uh, they appoint elders, which is to say they ordain leaders. They say, okay, you're the guys, you're the gals that we want in charge. Uh, I'm going to pray for you, lay hands on you, pray for God's blessing upon you, uh, whatever ritual they went through, because there was something worth leading. Uh, at the end of, of this story, I always put myself in the position of these elders. Paul and Barnabas swept back into town and they say, you, you, Quack, I want you to be elder of this church in Lystra. What, what are you thinking? It's like, well, last time I saw you here, you were stoned to death, pretty much. You know, do I really want that job? Do I really want to be a Christian leader? What do you, what do you think? If you imagine, you know, Paul comes back through town. You, you've become a believer in Jesus. You're that far into following Jesus. And then this guy, Paul, broken, bloody, scarred up, infamously disreputable, attacked by his own people, the Jews, wherever he goes. You know, that guy makes you a job offer. Hey, how'd you like to carry this forward? What, what, what do you say? What, what, what are you thinking? Honest reaction. Do you take the job? Are you excited about it? Yes. Yes. And everyone else is quiet. Okay. <laughs> it depends on how well I know Jesus. It depends. It depends how well I know Jesus, what Jesus has done for me. You'd have to think about it. Give me a couple days to consider, sir, you might say. Uh, but here's the truth. Here's what I think. You would want that job. If Paul offered it to you, you would want it. And the reason is because Paul dripped with authority. Right? You would feel that because this guy had lived the stories. This guy manifested faith attitude and the world is starving for faith attitude and we're all starving for it. And however roughly Paul was treated, he had it, man, he had it. So no matter how rough things looked, 
you'd want in. You'd want in. That's effective evangelism. That's effective leadership impartation. It would not be a cerebral exercise for you. It would be visceral. I want, I want that. I want to be able to live like that. Fearlessness for God. His confidence, you know, his basic goodness, his trustworthiness. That sort of thing counts for a lot. All right, so how do we apply this story? Um, what attitude do you spread in the world? And, and how do you spread it? Do you spread confidence in the world or do you spread doubt uh, in the world? Do you spread fear or do you spread freedom? Uh, if you live in faith and freedom, you'll try things. You'll live a life of try and then you'll have stories to tell. If nothing else, you'll have stories to tell. And then you'll be better able to inspire faith and freedom in other people. You know, a life well lived begets more life. It's just a rule of God's creation. You know, so live, right? Live that life of try. Live in faith. Wield what you believe manifestly and creatively. Uh, and I would like us to take that as an assignment this week. You know, care for somebody practically. You know, just, just give it a shot. Serve somebody. Testify to somebody somehow. That word testify simply means share a story that you have about life with Jesus. Uh, invite somebody to something. Whatever. Uh, invite them to, to church. Right now, all you got to do to come to church is click a link. So that's pretty easy. Uh, pray for somebody. Just bring, bring us a story about 